Hi everyone, welcome to the No Time to Read podcast. This is your host Arif Ashraf. I'm a plant biologist and in every episode I'm going to invite the lead author of a recently published plant biology article to share the story behind the paper. As audience, your goal is to tune into that episode so you don't have to read the paper. Welcome to the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to the season two, episode four of our No Time to Read podcast. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about a recent nature communications paper. In this article, author actually sequenced a plant genome, which is known as Paspalum vaginatum. So we'll try to know more about this grass in today's episode and what we can learn from the genome sequence of this grass. So to talk about this, we're very excited to have Guan Chang San with us today. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Sure. Thanks, Arif, for having me. Um, so my name is Guang Chao Sun. Um, I uh, actually gained my uh, bachelor's degree in plant protection from Northwest Agriculture and Forestry University in Yangling, a small town in Shanxi province in China. Um, I that During that four years, I found myself very interested in the growth of pathogen inside cells of their host plants and how do they interact? So I got super excited the first time when I saw something under the microscope, you know, because you do not see them you know, by your naked eye. And it's really fascinating. We will see something, you know, a cell is growing in, in another cell. So uh, after I graduated uh, from that university, I had decided to pursue a PhD in plant pathology. So I came to US and did my PhD uh, with the supervision uh, by Richard Wilson uh, at U the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So uh, during that time, I studied the, the target of rapamycin pathway and autophagy and their involvement uh, in the pathogenicity of a pathogen called Magnaporta oryzae, causing rice blast disease. Um, so during my PhD, I got a robust training for molecular biology uh, and, and try to answer you know, the function of the gene. But I did found, found myself um, that my skill set was very limited to answer questions in the you know systematic level, like because a regulation of the pathway by a gene always involves a large network, and you know you, by doing molecular biology it is important, but you are just trying to poke poke one aspect, maybe a teeny tiny aspect of function of the gene. Uh, so I found that bioinformatics might be the way to go. So uh, after my PhD, I decided to do a postdoc and switch my career direction a little bit, do a, do a postdoc in bioinformatics. So I knocked on the office door of uh, Dr. James Schnabel at UNL. So at that time, he was running a project that required a postdoc with lab, wet lab experiences. Um, but one 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 thing is that you know I I had no background in bioinformatics and I had no background in programming, uh, so uh, for sure I had eager to learn computational biology, uh, but it really uh, took me time or it took a curve to learn that. Um, so uh, I have to say you know uh, thank you to James to for having the courage to take me <laughs> uh, as his postdoc back to that time. Um, so yeah, this is uh, the background of me. And, and now I got a, thanks to the trained postdoc training in bioinformatics, uh, I now uh, I'm working as a bioinformatician in uh, Mayo Clinic. 
Awesome. That's a very nice introduction. Thank you so much. So before we talk about this paper, I think we need to know a little bit more about this grass, uh, that why this grass is important and what should we know about this grass first? Yeah, sure. So um, this grass is called Pasplum vagininum. Uh, if you are growing, uh, if, if, if you have your hometown is the coastal city, you probably have seen this kind of grass growing along the seashore. Uh, because usually it's called a seashore pasplum. Um, it is originally originated in South Am uh, South America. It was considered as the invasive species uh, by United States because you know it's growing. It propagates in a crazy pace, um, and uh, basically there's uh, limited limited uh, you know animals will fit on that, uh, and so. Now it's already worldwide <laughs> uh, spread, and I also heard friends talking, take, um, telling me that they see this, this grass in China. Um, this grass is a very resilient grass, so mm -hmm. it is uh, resistant to drought, cold, salinity, even crude oil, and wow. uh, it is a grass that you know widely used as a turf grass or the you know golf mm -hmm. golf course turf grass around the coastal cities and you can even just irrigate it with seawater so mm. you know you don't need to worry about uh <laughs> worry about <laughs> watering these these grass so right. this is how impressive it is and what makes it more impressive is is actually a very close relative to maize and sorghum mm. you know by no means you would think this grass of a relative of maize and sorghum when you just look at the grass. Right. But later on, with, with more and more experience with this grass, I found so many common features between them. Okay. Um, and it is even closer than Cetaria to maize and sorghum. Mm -hmm. You know, Cetaria is the, what we call mallet. Yeah, right. it's even closer, you know, to, to maize and sorghum than the Cetaria to maize and sorghum. So, and one thing I want to point out is it's actually the official turf grass for mm -hmm. Qatar World Cup. This year. Uh -huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, so when yeah, with the athletes running on the turf grass, um, it's you know, it, it can resist to this mechanical damages. And if you are a football fan, yeah, you know, do not just yes. watch the balls, probably also pay attention to the grasses. <laughs> awesome. I think such a great timing that the World Cup was happening and your paper also came at the same time. I see it's a great timing, right? Exactly. So it helped help a lot for the promotion. <laughs> uh, I've seen awesome. a lot of news yeah, uh, and reports regarding you know, tying these two stories together. Awesome, awesome, very interesting. So uh, uh, you kind of mentioned that how you started working with James. Uh, so we're more curious how you started this project because uh, you are taking your way to the bioinformatics. So please tell us what was the starting part of the story of this project? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, as, as you just mentioned, actually my primary project is not on this grass, it's on uh, actually a, a large, uh, is a is a transcriptomics analysis in the large diversity panel, um, but I got to learn about this grass um, because I was given a tour around the lab and the greenhouse space by a previous postdoc that you know worked in James Schnabel lab, mm -hmm. um, and, and she told me that you know especially when we went into the greenhouse space, and she particularly told me that hey you need to pay more attention to this grass. 
um, because even though you do not need to water it regularly, you do not need to fertilize it regularly, but you do need to trim it regularly because mm -hmm. it's growing, it grows in a very fast way and it tries to invade the paths in the adjacent plants uh, if you do not trim it. And in the greenhouse manager, you will be mad at you because the grass is growing so fast. And I got to learn about this grass. It was like, okay, how come a grass, you know, is growing like such, such a crazy way? And I was like, and then I asked her, okay, so how can we harvest the seeds? And actually, it turned out this grass is self-incompatible. means, hmm. you know, if you sell it, it's not going to generate any seeds. Mm -hmm. um, and you... The, the way you propagate this grass is just cracked part of the grass and put it in a new pot. It will just grow. It, it really impressed me a lot. And, and uh, then I wanted to learn more about this grass that time. And then I asked James and I talked about this grass with James. And James told me, you know what? We were also collaborating with JGI Hudson mm -hmm. Alpha team and University mm -hmm. of Georgia mm -hmm. to sequence the genome of this grass. And then we are trying to assemble and annotate the, the genome of this grass. And I was like, this is perfect. I want to learn more about this grass and let, let's do something with it. And I I got to know, you know, a lot of study has uh, have been done to understand why this grass is so tolerant to salinity mm -hmm. because it's growing around the seashore mm -hmm. and uh, you, can, you can even water it with, with seawater. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but on the other hand, I was thinking, in the soil, the, the soil mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the seashore mm -hmm. is not good. I don't think, mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of, a lot of nutrients out there. Right. And, and also, you know, you just need to water the plants regularly using the regular greenhouse water. How come this grass grow much more than other ones? Mm -hmm. So I think I, I decided to, to just design some experiments to just mm -hmm. test how uh, well this grass can tolerate nutrient stress. And mm -hmm. it's a relative, a close relative to maize and sorghum, mm -hmm. can we learn from this grass and see whether or not we can improve maize and sorghum in terms of nutrient use efficiency. Um, so that's how this project started. <laughs> awesome, such a great observation and cool way to start a project. So when we read the paper, actually there are many experiments, there are many results. So what are the key finding or things we should learn from this paper or some take home messages we should know? Yeah, so first of all, with the genome being completed, we could do a lot of uh, comparative genomics analyses. First of all, we confirmed from the phylogeny that pasculum is the closest wild relative of maize and sorghum clade mm -hmm. right now being sequenced. So, you know, this is going to be the genome of this grass is going to be a very important genetic resources to study like resilience, especially like crop resilience, um, you know, uh, uh, using this genomic information, you can you can gain a lot of insights. And we also calculated the uh, KAKS value ratio mm -hmm. of autosynthetic genes to identify the genes that are under pressure, right? Right. And also we could identify some gene families that are expanding or contracting mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, grass. So we actually identified that there are many gene families that are expanding in pasplum mm -hmm. that are responsive to nutrient stress. So which means uh, there are a set of genes that are trying to help gene pasplum to deal with a nutrient deficiency in their natural 
natural nick and mm. and then with the genome we could also you know perform rna sequencing analyses so by growing the three plants maize sorghum pasplum in the greenhouse under the same nutrient conditions and we can perform rna sequencing and compare you know compare the, the transcriptomics uh, mm -hmm. across the three species to identify some core genes that are responding to nutrient stress, which means right. if, if the genes are syntactically con conserved and they are all responsive to, you know, nitrogen or phosphorus deficiency, that means these are the core genes. And also we can identify some unique genes only differentially expressed in pasplum under certain conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the genes that, that could make pasplum unique. Mm -hmm. Um, so we also perform the metabolomics analysis mm -hmm. and the, 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 my, my key observation from the metabolomics analysis is that we found trellos mm -hmm. is a kind of a disaccharide, mm -hmm. uh, only accumulated in pasplum root system when pasplum is stressed by nutrient. Um, but we do not see, uh, increase in maize and sorghum, such a high increase level in maize and sorghum. Mm -hmm. So uh, we all know trellos is a is, is, is molecule, a signaling molecule instead of uh, mm -hmm. a, like energy providing molecule, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it is also involved in stress responses in plants. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of reports uh, you know, saying that trellos is involved in drought, uh, in drought response, but I have not seen a lot of studies on, uh, that saying trellos mm -hmm. might be involved in nutrient deficiency response. Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing I was thinking about is, okay, if trellos accumulation is somehow involved in the resilience of pasplum to nutrient stress, whether or not we could increase trellos level in maize and sorghum, see if that can increase their resilience to nutrient stress. The first thing I did was just add trellos to the soil, but it mm -hmm. turned out it stressed out the plants because trellos also caused a strong osmotic stress. Mm -hmm. So the plants cannot even take water from the soil. And <laughs> yeah, and then I was thinking about other ways, how can I, you know, internally induce trellos uh, mm -hmm. accumulation? Um, I thought about it in the opposite way. So if mm -hmm. I cannot increase trellos level, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not I can reduce the trellos degradation mm -hmm process right. Right? so we can in this way we can we can increase the internal trellis level so i found this mm -hmm. uh, uh antibiotics called lidomycin a that mm -hmm. is specifically uh inhibiting the enzyme called trellase mm -hmm. that degrade trellose into two molecules of glucose so mm -hmm. if i can in, you know inhibit the enzymatic activity of trellase mm -hmm. then trellose will be accumulated internally so uh this is what i did what i did i just add some treatments actually medicine treatments to maize and sorghum mm -hmm. and found that the maize and sorghum they grow better under nitrogen starvation conditions and that is amazing because, you know, usually 99% out of 100 times, uh, this kind of treatment, you know, experiments will fail based on my experience during my PhD. Um, and, and that is amazing. I feel like, okay, maybe Trellos is, is really doing something here. Mm -hmm. So we performed RNA sequencing analysis and metabolomics analysis on the plants treated with uh, with medicine A. Um, 
we found that um, maybe um, we found that you know a lot of processes mm -hmm. uh, involved in like antioxidation, mm -hmm. uh, nitrogen assimilation, um, and autophagy are upregulated based on the uh, RNA sequencing analysis. And autophagy is something that we can very easily you know think you know think of as a way to kind of, you know, uh, mitigate the stress mm -hmm. because right. autophagy is a cell-eating self -eating process that recycles right. damaged parts from a cell and then, you know, break them down into small parts and for, 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 you know, for new protein um, assembly. Yeah. So it can support the plant's grow and, or just to help plant to survive. So mm -hmm. uh, we just kind of investigated more on this aspect and it turned out, okay, we did find that autophagy level is increased in maize when it is treated with vladimycin A. So the take-home message here is that we, first of all, we started from this grass called the Pasquale virginidum. That is a wild relative of maize and sorghum. It accumulates trails in the root system when it encounters a nutrient deficiency. And we tried internal, tried to accumulate trellos in maize and sorghum internally. And we found that trellos is leading an increased level of autophagy to help these plants to mitigate uh, the, the internal stress caused by nutrient deficiency. What a great story. And it's actually combined the genome sequence and its specific function and the pattern. So it's just really nice. So we kind of know that every time we sequence the genome, there are so many questions or interesting things people want to follow up. So what do you think after your paper or this genome sequence is like exciting questions uh, your lab or someone is going to follow? Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, I... Uh, I would like to see more studies on this genome or, you know, using a, uh, also perform more comparative genomics analysis mm -hmm. uh, with some other grasses, you know, to answer uh, questions from different angles. Mm -hmm. um, and also I'd like to, if to really, if in the future, there will be, there's a, a transformation protocol that right. can, you know, be ready uh, to use in the wild relative species, especially in pasplum, mm -hmm. uh, then we could uh, really confirm whether or not autophagy mm -hmm. is the true mechanism hinted right. by what we have observed in maize. Mm -hmm. Because right now, where what we have proved is, you know, trellos is related to autophagy level in maize mm -hmm. that help maize to overcome this nutrient deficient deficiency but not in pastoral directly. So right. you want to see if, you know, transformation in wild relative species will be handy for future study. And on the other hand, you know, if whether or not we could find uh, trellos level variation in the large maize diversity panel, mm -hmm. um, right. yeah, whether or not maize, different maize varieties will produce, you know, different levels of trellos in the root system. Therefore, whether or not they would perform or they would uh, exhibit different levels um, of tolerance to nutrient stress. And if there is, you know, we can find the genetic resources that underlies the variation of root trellis level, you know, it will probably help uh, maize breeding. Um, you know, we can incorporate those high yield traits with these high trellis, you know, traits together to both increase resilience and yield.
I hope there will be some transformation protocol established in the near future. That would be exciting. That would be super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, usually in this podcast, you try to talk about the publication process, like when you submitted to the bioarchive until they published the paper, like mm -hmm. how long it took or what are the things you changed during the review process? Um, yeah. So the, the, the peer review story process of this paper is tough. I think this is the only word I can find about <laughs> this <laughs> process. Um, we, we, um, gone through two journals that sent the manuscript out for review. Um, you know, actually I, I do appreciate most of the feedback from the reviewers. Um, mm. they really helped us to improve the manuscript. We post this, the original manuscript to the bioarchive. And mm. if you compare these two versions, there's mm. a lot of differences. Um, the major part is we introduced maze ATG12 mutant to mm -hmm. validate the autophagy aspect. Okay. Um, um, and, and also we, we try to improve the visualization of the data and mm -hmm. to try to clarify some of the confusions that you know can really mislead uh all the, the, the readers. Mm -hmm. Um the <laughs> The review process in Nature Communications, um, we actually had an appeal process. So okay. yeah, under we went through two rounds of revision, but we did came across uh, one um, one reviewer giving us some of tough um, uh, comments that we could not address technically. So mm. um, yeah, we it, so the editor eventually you know first rejected and then we write we wrote a repealing letter and to to convince the editors that you know this might not be a reasonable uh a re reasonable decision mm -hmm. and unfortunately uh, the editors and thankfully the editors agreed with us mm -hmm. uh, so it, then the 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 manuscript was accepted so the the whole whole, whole process is about two years and there are some some time that I need to go back to Lincoln, Nebraska uh, mm. to perform more experiments in the greenhouse. Mm. We uh, <laughs> was about like two months. I spent about two months in Lincoln, mm. Nebraska while I was working for mail. <laughs> so I was working at a, a full-time job during the daytime and then you know, during the lunchtime and, and at nighttime, I was working in the greenhouse to address some of the reviewers' comments. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's why I say it's tough. Um, like, you know, I feel like <laughs> uh, I've learned from this grass that to be resilient, you know, mm. uh, when you, as long as what you are doing is improving the manuscript, you mm. should devote your time to do it and, and right. you should dedicate. And, but, but I think also on the other hand, um, there, there are some aspects that can be, can be improved for peer review process. Right. And we as authors should also, you know, um, I think you need to speak out when it's time. Right. Yeah.
Yeah. I will say, actually, personally, I got very inspired by your story that you work full-time job and do your experiment, which is incredible. <laughs> that is amazing. And also this kind of appeal thing uh, we heard many times in this podcast before that yeah. many strippers rejected author trying to reach out. So I think also that is a great lesson. Like rejection is not the end. We can still appeal and see. Yes, yes. So it, to be resilient is super important when it comes to publication. Uh, You're trying to convince people from a diversity field, very mm -hmm. diverse field. People will think about questions in different angles. First of all, you need to respect it and, uh, and, and harness it. And But on the other hand, when it comes to the point that there's nothing that you can do to address it, uh, I think uh, it's time for you to do to appeal or to right. fight, you know, um, that's very important. That's a great lesson, I, I should say. So at this point, we're actually very end to the podcast. So if you want to thank the people involved uh, in this project or somehow, uh, please, you can do it now. Yeah, thank you, Eric, for giving me this opportunity. Um, first of all, I want to thank uh, my postdoc supervisor, James Schnabel. Uh, really appreciate his gut uh, taking me as his <laughs> postdoc when I had nothing, <laughs> uh, no knowledge about bioinformatics and, and experience in programming or working in a terminal environment. Um, and, and also I want to thank the co-authors for their patience, for their resilience. You know, <laughs> they have been wondering what is going on with this manuscript and what else we should do to make it better. So the co-authors uh, and really helped me a lot. Um, uh, the end, I want to, you know, show my appreciation to my wife, because as I just mentioned, I did spend two months uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is uh, four hours driving from my, 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 my home, my current home, mm -hmm. and she need to take care of two kids, uh, regardless of sickness <laughs> or tiredness. So um, yeah, the, all the supports from them uh, is, um, precious yeah thank you so much i think this uh, great lesson from this tutor's episode is like this grass like uh we need to have that resilience we need to learn from this and implement in our life i really like this episode i think it's a really so many good stories in the review process the paper wise and the story wise um thank you so much uh, for you. your time sure thank you absolutely Thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully you'll come back with another episode um, soon. Bye.